right, Corey Reinish in the house. Thank you for joining me, my friend. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, I'm actually enjoying listening to a little bit of thunder outside. It's uh, been so hot. It's uh, cooling down a little bit, which is nice. Yep, I'm getting a thunderstorm right now, too. It's awesome. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to spend any time <laughs> talking about weather on this, uh, <laughs> this podcast, but uh, it's supposed to cool down real quick here. I'm sure you've noticed that. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's the best time the, the heat breaks. So, um, so Corey, I want to kind of just jump in with how things have been going for you since the lockdown started, kind of mid-March. Tell us what you've been doing since March and what you were planning on doing at that time, what you were involved with. I'm sure you had some South by stuff lined up uh, with Harvest Thieves, but what were you planning? How did it all get destroyed? And uh, how have you been you know, occupying yourself since, since that time. Yeah. Uh, you're, you are correct to your point. We, uh, we were an official artist this year for South by Southwest. And so I think the total number of shows we had booked was around seven or eight. Um, and that was including our, our official showcase as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we took that news like everybody else did. It was a bit of disappointment, but, um, I don't know. Looking back, it seems like maybe that was the right choice. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. We did lose out on the on the shows, and that was something we were looking forward to. And then we had several shows booked after that, uh, a couple in town, a couple out of town. Uh, obviously, we weren't able to do those. So we've just kind of been in a holding pattern, sitting here waiting uh, for life to return to some semblance of normalcy again. But... Uh, We've been working on an album too, so we were able to get most of it done. We were hoping to release that this year, uh, but I don't know that that's going to be the case now. We're kind of waiting to see um, when we can make that happen. Um, but we're getting close, and we just got some loose ends to tie up. And then uh, that's that's really the next big thing for us on the horizon is is rolling this album out. So. And is it a EP? Is it LP full length thing? Yeah, it'll be a full length. Uh, we actually released the first single of it in December with the intention of getting it out in the spring or early summer. And uh, that just kind of got derailed when all this went down. So um, we're just waiting for a better time, I guess. I've, I've been I've been really pleased to see some of my musician friends and, and some, some bands that I follow here in town, they've done releases during the pandemic. And for the most part, I think it, if you talk to them, it would, they would share that it's gone very well for them, uh, even considering the circumstances. But I think we're not really in a hurry. I mean, it's, we've waited this long anyways, so we'd like to uh, just wait till the time is right, I think. But uh, I really admire those who put it out during, put their work out during this. So. Yeah, and you can always release a single or two, give give the people a little taste of what they want, and and you know release yeah. the full album later down the line. I've released yeah. a, couple, a couple singles, and I'm happy with it. You know, it's it's gone fine in terms of releasing a whole album during this. If if your calendar and your preparation lines up for it, then sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. But you know, of course, if you put an album, you you kind of feed off the the juice from that from gigs for a while. So that's the, that's the unfortunate thing, of course, is you can't, you know, juice that album when there's no gigs going on for the most part, but 
there's no telling how long this is going to last. So, you know, that is true. and that's gotta, something, you know, we have to consider. So, yeah, uh, we, we don't, we don't want to wait too long, but, uh, for sure. Yeah. How about you personally? How have you been, uh, you know, what have you been up to? Are you working a job? Are you staying at home working your crafts? What, what have you been up to yourself? Yeah, so I, I work at Waterloo Records, which is a, a an awesome job. It's been a great place to work. I've been there for over three years now. And uh, they happened to have a, it was a, a store-wide furlough to uh, to let us all go and kind of come back intermittently and see how the business model was going to look during all this. So, you know, we've, we're back open again, but we're only doing curbside service. And so I've been able to keep my job, which is wonderful. There's so many people who are struggling without work right now. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, I think it's, I think it's going well with the store. So that seems like a, a place that's solid ground for me in life right now, which is nice. And then outside of that, man, I've just been trying to, you know, force myself to pick up my guitar every day and stay in practice. And, uh, if the muse strikes then to sit down and finish or write a song. So, um, I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't written as much as I would have hoped during all this time. But in lieu of that, I was also able to take care of a lot of things that I've been wanting to do just personally uh, for years now and, and found the time and, and space to do that, which was really nice. And you know, sometimes that's what it takes when you're creating and writing, you just need to declutter your life. And I've certainly been able to do that. So that's great. Yeah, I can say the same. It's, it's definitely been a time to get to things you never really had time for before or not nearly as much time. And I think declutter is a real good word and that's always good for clarity of, you know, clarity of inspiration, clarity of thought, all that stuff. Um, why don't you give us just a one or two minute, you know, synopsis of, of what life is like at a, you know, you work at a, what would be considered a super, you know, unique and, and fantastic record store. And that's obviously something that a lot of people love. It's a culture in itself. And it's, you know, how is that operationally going for Waterloo Records? What are you guys, how are you doing it? Well, right now, uh, we're working every day of the week. We're open Monday through Sunday, which is nice. Uh, the hours are a little adjusted. It's 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. But basically, you call in or get online and, and order records from us. You know, we sell a lot of other things. Uh, other than records too but right now that's been the main source of business and so he's the owner John Coates has really you know facilitated this to kind of be a model of efficiency so uh, I think the most disappointing thing to our customers is that part of being in a record store is the ability to look around yep exactly and and, you know that's uh, honestly that's the biggest part about coming into a record store so Unfortunately, that's not available at the moment. However, if you do know what you want, um, and you know, we live in a time now where technology uh, affords us so many other opportunities, but you can browse our inventory online. And uh, if we have it in stock, you know, it's, it's as easy as sending a payment and then coming and picking it up. So, uh, and you guys have been able to keep some business from that, that model. We have. I mean, now, obviously, it's a pretty big reduction in, mm-hmm. in business from normal, normal times when people were able to come in 
But for instance, we had record store day this last weekend mm. and uh, that presented a set of logistical obstacles for us to maintain and handle, but we did a really good job with it. And the store did exceptionally well that day, which is promising for us. And so um, I think, you know, Waterloo's a Austin institution and our, the owner, John, I think is, is bound and determined to uh, see the store through this strange time. So. Well, that's good to hear. And yeah. wasn't there prior to, to Corona, wasn't, wasn't there a location change going on with you guys? Yeah. So there was a, uh, a real estate group who came in and, and bought basically that whole block. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, that's, that's Austin, uh, in, in its present, in its present sense, but, um, they were able, they were, they were kind to us. I think they were allowing us to piggyback over on the longest lease within that, uh, within that city block there. So whoever had the longest lease was kind of buying that time for everyone else around. And, um, uh, I, I haven't heard much about that since, but the plan was even before the pandemic to move the store to another location and continue business. Mm-hmm. So, but you're, you're still in that same location then? Same location right now, yeah. Very cool. So why don't we go back a little bit and visit who uh, little Corey was. Where do you come from? Tell us a little bit about your early uh, musical influences, how you got started on guitar, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in a small town called Brady, Texas, right up the road. It's about two hours northwest of Austin. Uh, real rural upbringing. Um, parents, uh, both farming and ranching families, so uh, agriculture was kind of the background setting to our family. But uh, my family is a very musical family, and I was fortunate enough to have uh, uncles and aunts and uh, even my mom and dad are musicians in their own right, uh, share that talent and interest with me. So I was able to, uh, I was able to do that uh, among many other things. My parents were very uh, encouraging about picking up any, any self-interest as a child. So whether that was athletics or, uh, you know, any, any kind of artful endeavor, I was encouraged to do that. So when did you start playing guitar? Um, I probably started playing guitar whenever I was 12 or 13 years old. My dad ended up being a drummer, but my grandmother had his old silver tone guitar that she bought him when he was a kid. Wow. He never really picked it up, but she, she kept it in immaculate uh, shape. And whenever I uh, turned 13 or 14, maybe she gave me that guitar and I, I started messing around with it and really getting into it. But my interest in it ramped up pretty quickly and I had some friends uh, in my small hometown who played as well and we all kind of helped teach each other it was really neat that I was able to grow up with people who were like-minded in that in that way and uh, we were able to kind of feed our interests with each other so and who are you listening to is it always the country stuff is that always what was on the mantle plate mantle piece yeah Early, it was always just kind of the background. I mean, I, my family, especially my uncles, they, uh, my family dictated a lot of what I listened to, and a lot of it was traditional country, and a lot of it was Western swing. Uh, my uncles were really into Western swing music, so um, you know, we're talking about Bob Wills and Hank Thompson, and, and uh, you know, so, some of those old acts that 
you just don't hear people talk about too much anymore. But, uh, and you know, I, I, we listened to country music, mainstream country music on the radio all the time anyway. So of course I grew up with George Strait and uh, Dwight Yoakam and Alan Jackson and, and had all that stuff on in the background as well. And it always w was an interest of mine, but uh, I, you know, growing up in high school, I, I was a rock and roll kid too and a punk kid. So uh, I was really into the replacements when I was in high school. And uh, then I got into the, you know, Nirvanas and the Pearl Jams and Soundgardens, like any kid my age did. But uh, I always held, always held, always held the uh, singer-songwriter up, up high in regard. And I have ever since I was, I was a young kid. Uh, my dad introduced me to Dylan, so I kind of, the hook got set early for me. Very cool. And when did you start with, uh, say, your first project? Did you put a band together in high school, or was it no, not till later? Yeah. Uh, we did in high school. I, I actually played in a couple of bands in high school. Um, probably my junior, senior years when all that happened. Um, but yeah, we, you know, of course in Brady, there was no real venues to play. It was usually just school functions or uh, somebody's backyard or we invited friends over to the garage and drink beers and put on our own shows that way. But uh, yeah, we, we played pretty regularly. I mean, for group of five or six kids from a small town in the middle of Texas. Very cool. And then could you migrate down to Austin kind of right after high school or did that come later? Was there somewhere in between? Yeah, that came later. Actually, I, I went to school, uh, graduated in Brady and went to school up at uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. And so I stayed there and, and I played in a, in a band when I was up there, but we, I, I wouldn't call it a, a very serious endeavor. It was just more of a kind of having fun. We we played a few bar gigs when I was up there. And looking back, I, I regret that because Lubbock has such a rich musical history. And, you know, even when I was there, some of the local bands, it's just, it's a place that's full of musical talent. And even with the guys I was playing with then in college, uh, we always had a great time. We just didn't put a lot of effort into playing out and, and you know, pursuing anything with any level of seriousness. Mm -hmm. But after that, I, I, uh, I graduated undergrad and I stayed and, and I, I went to grad school and got my master's. And then I moved to Dallas right after I graduated grad school. I lived in Dallas for two or three years, didn't play much music at all and couldn't stand it up there. So I moved with the specific intent of, of playing music when I got to Austin. So, And how long ago was that? How long have you been here for? Uh, I moved to Austin in February of 2007. So I've, I've been here over a decade now. Very cool. So I moved about 2011. Yeah. And uh, I've been talking to a few people lately that moved kind of 2005. So you're right in between. And... I always felt I moved at a really good time because it still had some of that old Austin feel, but it, the opportunities were flush during that time. You know, they just kept building new cool places and I'm sure you were even, you were here before me. So you got even a bit more yeah. real good wave, you know, like it's still real funky, cool South by Austin. And then it just, all this stuff happened and then it kind of, you know, it's kind of plateaued and it's still a wonderful place of course, but 
it's different. It's, it's definitely different even when I, from when I moved here just 10 years ago. So um, were you able to kind of plunge right into the scene and meet all kinds of people and start playing or was it real uphill and slow going at first? How was it for you? You know, I, I, I look back on it and think of myself as being pretty fortunate just with regards to how that started for me in Austin. I moved down here. I was doing radio advertising in Dallas and wanted to stay in radio advertising because I knew uh, I knew of the stations down here. And, and I, I ended up getting a job with what was then the Emmis group. And that's KGSR, uh, KLBJ, AM and FM, 101X. And then there was a, a really cool hip hop station called Hot 93 back then. And I got that job and I look, I look back on it and, and think how thankful I am that I had that because it, it was a I had youthful coworkers. We were connected to the music scene, and it was really just a, a great way to facilitate landing in Austin and not knowing anybody really, and and, and kind of jumping in the water head first. Uh, that was a, a great job to help me facilitate putting a band together and and meeting new people to play music with. So you know, I was very fortunate in that way. Uh, I started playing almost immediately when I got here. Uh, kind of hooked up with a few individuals who had like-minded pursuits in mind. And so we just immediately started practicing. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't too long after we put the band together that we started playing some pretty cool venues. And, and we got really lucky in that regard. So uh, everybody, I, I don't, you may feel this way about Austin, but it, from day one to to now to here with you and I talking, Austin the music scene is is very supportive and it's very communal and I've found that to be the case uh, throughout my entire experience living here. I I think everybody, if they see you fighting and you're working hard, they appreciate it and they're willing to do anything to help you out and cheer you on and and that's that's certainly been my experience and it has been since day one. So. That's super. Yeah, I, uh, who was I just talking to about this? I think it was either yesterday or the day before, but I had forgotten because I'm so used to it, but the striking, and maybe you got this in Brady or something tells me you didn't get it in Dallas, but when I first moved here from Chicago, which is a Midwest, very nice place. A lot of people, most people are very nice in the Midwest, but as soon as I came here, it was a striking kindness, niceness yeah. of people in the city. And I, 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 I always acknowledged it, but I had forgotten it until that, that whoever what that was that said that I was like, yeah, man, I remember moving here and it's like, people are so nice. And I think that of course, you know, bleeds into the music scene itself and the music scene is, you know, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, you're going to have really supportive people, people who are, you know, just ignoring you. It's, it's everything. That's what the music business is. But I, I agree. There's a, a, a strong kind, kindness in the, lifeblood of the Austin music scene and Austin in general. I, I still believe that to be true. I, I hate to be that guy who didn't grow up here and talks about how much it's changed since I've moved here. But you said it earlier. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is it, it has changed. And, you know, there are parts of the city that are completely unrecognizable from when I first moved here. They've been a lot of parts, a lot of parts yeah. of the city. <laughs> It's, it's, it's actually really insane. And um, when I first moved here, I lived down in, in South Austin, which you would call South Austin, I guess, 7, 78704. 
and lived there for years and did so with, you know, I mean, I wasn't rich by any means. I was doing okay at the radio station, but rent was cheap. You know, you could, you, you could have a job and, and have your passion on the side. And I did that for a long time. And then, you know, it's just gotten to, I, I think the biggest change is just how much it, it costs to live here and, and what that affects in life. I think the people are still nice here. I think there's a general air and an attitude that Austin has that is very unique from other towns, especially in Texas. And as long as that doesn't change, I think Austin is always a, a wonderful place to live and call home. But it it is a different city, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm just as I'm talking here, I'm just gonna change my internet source because sometimes, oops, not that one. Sorry. Um, but sorry, give me one sec. This will make everything nice here. Cool, better. Um, yeah, and the thing is, like, cities are living things, man. Okay, like, and when you said a lot's changed, like, it, it's when you stop and think about it, it's since 2010, I can honestly say 75% of the city is different. <laughs> in terms yeah. of real estate and what it looks like. I mean, when you think about how much has been built, so for you, it's even more, but you know, cities are living things. They're gonna, they have a natural path. If it's a cool ass city, there's, mm -hmm. there's no doubt more people are gonna move there. More people with money are gonna move there and it's gonna get expensive. That's mm -hmm. the way it always goes. And then of course you see at this moment, what's going on with Los Angeles and New York, which is, you know, both places were thriving, really too expensive to live for most people, especially New York, LA, probably more accessible, even though it's super expensive. But I just keep hearing bad things about both those cities in the last six months. Just things are falling apart. So Austin just seems to have a real strong, even though it's expensive and it is changing a lot, it doesn't seem like that's possible in this city. You know, it's just too much innovation and it's still it's not a behemoth like New York or LA where, so it's probably going to be thriving for a long time, I would say. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I mean that I feel silly saying this cause I, I, I hope you understand where I'm coming from, but there are a lot of people who are hurting right now, especially who are out of work and, and wondering what the future looks like. But I'd say in general, this is a very overarching statement, but you know, Austin, for some of the reasons you outlined, may be one of the cities in the country that's been hit, you know, the least through all of this. I mean, real estate is still going strong. People are still moving here. I mean, that's not stopping at all. The infrastructure downtown, I mean, I don't think the cranes have stopped once since all this is happening. So, you know, while there are people are certainly uh, – scared and wondering about what the future looks like. I, I, th I mean, there's a big part of Austin that's still moving forward uh, with a ferocity, I think. Definitely. And I think the interesting thing w w to, to observe and see what happens here is, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that go out of business. A lot of the vulnerable people are the music venues, the restaurants, the staples, which were already, let's be honest, they were already starting to get, the light shut off. I mean, we've mm -hmm. seen it over the last four or five years. Some of these institutions are going out of business. Yeah, so, no doubt. So after this hits, 
what of that is truly going to be left mm-hmm. and who, you know, there's going to be people, I think it's already started. I know it's already started because I just read about it somewhere yesterday, but there are going to be real estate people just jumping in and we'll see what those people make of the city because mm-hmm. we'll see. But I still think there's, well, just whether it's we, everything moves to Kyle or, you know, everything kind of finds new little, like, whatever, like, uh, what do you call them? Speakeasies that nobody knows about. There'll be some little, you know, ravines that remain that keep the lifeblood of the creativity and all that stuff going strong. Yeah, I was, I was, I agree with you. I was having a conversation with a friend the other night about that very thing. And we were saying, you know, lamenting the fact that some of the places that we've come to know and love and even played at multiple times may not make it through. And that's, that's just the harsh reality of what we're faced with right now. But like you said, that was already happening anyways. And uh, that's, that's tough for people who are sentimental and, and nostalgic, which, you know, f- folks who do what you and I do often are that way. Um, but with that said, I, you know, and, and I, who knows, it remains to be seen, but I still think that if Austin places a value on its culture and especially its, its music scene, some of those places will go away and it, and it is a travesty that that's the case, but it, it, the place just may rearrange. I mean, there, I, I have a feeling that a music venue goes away, another music venue comes in and takes its place. But um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very, very strange time. And, and we're having to see some pretty heartbreaking things occur during all of this. Um, yeah, no doubt. So what were some of the projects you were involved with? Because obviously I'm familiar with Harvest Thieves, which is a <laughs> fabulous project. And yeah. But that's, you know, you guys aren't that old. You've been around for, I think, what, four or five years? Yeah, it's, right? it's just, just about five years. Yeah. So, so what, what were the projects you were in before that? Uh, the very first project I was in was a band called Guns of Navarone. It's uh, the, like the old movie. Yeah. Uh, and we were a band for about three or four years. Not, not too dissimilar from Harvest Thieves. I mean, I think music... Musically, it's in the same ballpark, but uh, it was a little more lively and, and maybe more on the uh, rock side than the countryside. So, uh, but yeah, we had a great time with that band. Um, just, you know, life changes brought that one to an end. We're all still good friends. Everything's fine. But, you know, just just change of life stuff brings about that. And so Harvest Thieves was actually a side project. And, and when Guns of Navarone ceased to be uh, our guitarist Dustin and I, who he played in that band as well. We decided just to kind of make Harvest Thieves our main project. But I also played solo in town throughout that whole time as well. You know, when I do so, I'm playing songs from either of those bands and, you know, some of my own. But one of the one of the things that got derailed this year was I was kind of hoping to put out a a solo album of my own too and, and get started on that but uh again that's you know something to look forward to in the future so it, it was derailed by corona you weren't able to pursue that because of of the, the yeah, circumstances just kind of putting that you know with finishing up this harvest thieves album and then dealing with work and then you know kind of all the things we've talked about in the last six months just you know that just got shelved for another day i think and it's something that I've been thinking about doing for a long time. 
I've even talked to a group of musicians to help me put it together. And, you know, looking at studios to even go record the thing at. But uh, I've just, I've, I've shelved it for the moment. So can always get back to it. We always got to shelf stuff, then yeah. revisit. Um, and then so Harvest Thieves kind of came together as a side project and then took, took its, its place as the, as the primary thing. And um, you're the guy who stands in the center of the state. So I, I know uh, uh, Gibson, who's in your band, and I, and I haven't seen you guys playing around, so I, but I do think I know one or two of the people in your, in your band by name. But um, are you, you know, have you always been the, the guy who stands in the center, you know, telling the story, the lead guy, so to speak? Or have you found yourself as sidemen as well and stuff like that? Well, I've, with those two projects, I, I've been the, the guy in the middle telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I've been the primary songwriter for both of those. But here recently, one thing that I've really loved about Harvest Thief is that Anna Facet, she's our keys player. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also been bringing song, her songs to the table. And we've actually recorded a few of them that will be on this next album. We're really excited about that. Uh, so she's starting to take more of a hand in the songwriting role. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that, you know we were encouraging her to do and uh so far it's it's been working out really well and you know when we play a harvest Thieves show i'll sing a few songs and then you know anna will will sing a few herself so so sometimes she's she's the uh she's the lady in the middle of the stage so yeah i i I definitely remember that as well and have you guys been practicing or are you doing one of these kind of pass it along, pass along the, the sounds without mm-hmm. actually getting together? Mostly the passing it along, but we have been fortunate enough to practice twice during this uh, as a full band. And then we, <clears throat> we still have our practice space. We've had it for years. So uh, we will section off time here and there, and then whoever can make it, will go up and we'll play together. So. We're not trying to, you know, put too much pressure on having full band practices, but more so just to get up there and stay in practice, whoever can make it. So, so what does your writing process look like? I'm always interested um, as someone who has been a practitioner of it for years. I've got my method and my method has been in place for pretty much since the beginning because because it works for me so well, but I'm always interested to hear what other people's are, you know, does the lyric comes first? Does the melody come first? Do you get yourself in a zone? Do you seclude yourself? What, how, how does it work for you? Uh, I, I think, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm with you. I think I've done what's worked for me for a long time. And, and usually that is I'll have an idea, whether it's a, a song title or a, a turn of phrase, um, or even just a, a, a riff that I've come up with that I like. I usually will take that one, it's kind of the seed to the song, and then I, I often build the song around that. The way that looks like mostly for me is I find a melody that I like first with whatever music that I've written. And, you know, it's, it's I, I wouldn't call it plug and play lyrics, but I'll have an idea and say I have a theme, an idea of a theme that I want to write this song about. I'll already have a melody or, the music down and it kind of conveys an emotion to me. And then I think, well, that's what I want this song to sound like about this particular subject. And, you know, I always have a loose idea of, of the story I'm trying to convey. And then when it comes time to 
complete the song with lyrics, I usually have the song already written in its structure from start to finish. And the lyrics to me are usually the last thing that I do. So if the song sounds good to me and it's already just through pure musicality, uh, giving me a certain feeling or, or, or making me uh, think a certain way, then, then I know half the work's already done. And then <clears throat> the lyrics are usually what I do last. But yeah, that's that's very similar. I'm sure there's nuances that you know mm. aren't quite the same, but that's extremely similar to my process in terms of the sound of the melody and the sound of the song kind of come. And just as you were talking it, and it's just struck me before, but it's such a one thing that's so strange about you know creativity within this within this medium is. What, and it sounds like this sometimes happens to you and sometimes ha uh, doesn't, but it sometimes happens to me and sometimes doesn't. But when you, you have the chords, you know, and you've got, you start with a humming with it, right? And, and it starts to sound something really attractive to you. You're like, oh, I, I like the way this sounds. And then you got, and then from there, I'll, you know, oftentimes I definitely will not have any subject matter. But from that, you keep mowing, you know, leaning into the feel of that melody. And then from the, the lean into the feel, some sort of lyrical content grows out of it, whether it's a sentence or a phrase. And then a whole song with full fleshed out ideas and feelings and everything comes from that. It sounds like that kind of happens to you sometimes. And uh, man, that's a strange thing. A strange thing. It is a strange thing. And I've, I always admire people. You know, like I said, I, I grew up as a Dylan fan. And, you know, he would sit there at the typewriter and just churn out reams of, of lyrics mm -hmm. over and over again and then have them ready, have them, have them done, and then he would sit down and put the music to that. And, you know, I've tried to do that, and it just it doesn't work for me. Um, I, there are poems that I've written, you know, and I'll – it's really, I think every artist should mine every idea. Every idea should not be off the table. If you've written a line or, or a, a hook that doesn't work for a certain song, don't throw it away. Just put it aside because you may come, come across something where you can, you can use that again. And I, I've certainly done that. I mean, I've, I've gone back to songs that I didn't, fine to completion but maybe i got 75 percent of it done that well i'm not going to use that song but i can use that line and i can use this you know broad stroke idea in this song over here and so i, I have found myself doing a lot of that and that's that's been a useful tool for me yeah let me ask you this when do you make time every day to sit down and write or do you are you more of uh i'll wait I'll wait till I feel a new song coming on. So with me, um, and I want to, I want to just get back to Dylan in a second after I answer your question. Um, for me, it depends on where I am in the song. So if I'm like in the middle stages or the end stages, I can set aside time. Not like I do it every day. Cause it depends mm -hmm. what my schedule like is, is at that time, but I can say, all right, I need to finish this song. You know, it's like, I need to come up with a bridge for this song. Okay. That I can do pretty much any time, but the initial inspirational moment where that something comes where nothing existed before, that 
not always, but a lot of the time comes in like, okay, if in a couple of months, there's a two week pocket there I have. And this is, you know, these, you know, those where I do most prolific, you know, initial writing packages, you know, where it's like, I'm going to get my skills as hot as they can get. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to read a bunch of books and then I'm going to smoke a lot of weed and I'm going to sit and write. And, and usually it takes like a week to really get into the center of the beast where then once I'm in the center of it, I can like in two days, write five songs that I like the most of that two year period, you know? So there's something about going deep into yourself for me, going deep into yourself, filling your system with as much, you know, stimulation and growth and then letting it pop. But other than that, you know, it, I can chip away at a sculpture at any time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but with Dylan, Dylan's his own beast. You know, it's like, I love Dylan. I've gone through like three different stages in life starting probably when I was like in middle school. I mean, that's probably when I was first listening to Dylan. And I don't even think about that that much, but I was definitely listening to my first Dylan in middle school and then a revisit high school, revisit college, you know. He's, he's, you know, he's a beast, but he's the old, he's maybe like Leonard Cohen, a couple other guys that just sit and type, 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 type. Yeah. And that's why he had songs that were eight minutes long. You know, it's like, that doesn't even work anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and believe me, I'm not saying anyone should ever compare themselves. To, right, to, no, I know. But, you know, I, here, for instance, like, I, I'm a huge John Prime fan. Mm -hmm. And yeah, John, John Prime would take... You know, you listen to you listen to John Prine songs, and and to someone who's not a musician, you they think or a songwriter they think, wow, this guy he's he's really got a he's really got a talent at like making it sound very simple and having these really uh, these very useful turns of phrase, and he maximized feeling and emotion in a small amount of words. Well, you know. John Prine worked really hard to make what sounds simple, I mean, it, what sounds simple, uh, not be hard. Like he worked really, really hard to make it sound like that. So he didn't just write down and, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were multiple times where his cleverness and wit got him through the end of a song, but you know, he took, he took what was very hard to do and made it sound very simple. And I, I think there's a special gift to that. Um, and you know, that's why he didn't write eight minute long songs either. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, that's always been my particular striving for the best I can be within simplicity. I just love simplicity. I think someone who loves country, some like me, who's, you know, loves blues, those, mm -hmm. those roots musics, you know, and I, I'm a big Metallica fan too. I love Metallica, but, um, uh, but I'm always about the simplicity and that is not easy. Simplicity is not easy. It can come easily at times, but for the most part, it's hard to get it yeah. sounding yeah. cool he, or deep when it's that simple, you know? Yeah. He was very mindful about all that. You know, he, he, he realized the, the value in that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that's very important to keep in mind when writing is, um, I heard a, a, it was actually a, a Dylan saying, and um, I feel like I'm talking about Dylan too much, but he, he said, make every, yeah. he said every line fight for its place in the song. And I, I don't know, that always struck me as, as important. So 
even if it's by my own guidelines, I, I try to abide by that rule. So, <laughs> yeah, Dylan's funny, man. He's, he's a, he's a funny dude. He's a, he's an odd duck and I love him. Yeah. But um, so just to kind of round things out here, Corey, uh, what I'm asking this of everybody, because I'm very interested to know what people think. And with all this time that we've all had, we've had just time to let things bounce around, absorb things. Um, you, you know, you can first I'm interested to know what you have, you know, logistically planned for yourself. Um, other than the Harvest Thieves stuff, you mentioned album coming out soon. But for the community, at, not just in Austin, which we have a, you know, bird's eye view of or in it, but also how that transcends to the greater music community and industry as a whole. Any thoughts you have on where it goes from here? Um, but kind of starting with where you're going from here and then where the rest of us and as an as a industry are going as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's happening here in Austin that we're seeing, you know, you and I touched on it places closing down and, and uh, a seemingly shrinking pool to swim in. That's not just happening in Austin. That, that's happening all over the place. And so we're, we're, not, we're not the only ones who are, who are forced with uh, facing that down. And so I think <laughs> without, without emptying into a broader topic here, I think that we're living through a time that is not only inconvenient but is is very raw and um uh, i don't know very uncomfortable and awkward and 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 needs needs to be approached with some mindfulness on on many different fronts and so i think one thing that we we will be able to look at here is is sim simply logistically what does it look like to be a musician i mean obviously a great great portion of our time and effort goes towards uh, playing in front of people and, and bringing community together, the venue, your bandmates, the people who've come to see you. Um, that's, a, that's a great, great big part of what we do. And when that goes away, we see, you know, how big a part that was for us. But, you know, we're going to have to figure out ways to share our our music with each other uh and get invented with that and i i think you've seen we've we've all seen some examples of people doing that like like i was even saying people releasing their albums during this time um uh, most of it's all online and then people have gotten really inventive about having shows and being spaced out doing drive-in stuff and, i mean i think all oh, that's really neat I, I think it's just all forcing us to take a a strong look at, at how we make this industry move forward and uh you know i don't know what the answer is in many ways that doesn't involve the bottom line i mean and if venues aren't going to be there um it's because their their bottom line was was either too hard to reach or there was an unfortunate circumstance where they couldn't reach it and so i think you know if we are going to give support to certain aspects of our society, we really need to fight for for our place in society too, as musicians and and any kind of creative artist. Really, I mean, we need the capital to continue doing what we're doing, and and if that's not there, then it's going to be increasingly more difficult. So, uh, I don't know if that means being political about 
holding people's feet to the fire about wherever that money and support goes. Uh, or if it's more of a grassroots thing where enough people talking and, and, and walking the walk can, can handle some of that stuff too. But, uh, you know, we're in a difficult time right now. It's, it's very strange to me to see some of the things that are going on right now. Um, and I, I like to think that people like you and I don't take it for granted, but you know, this time has shown us that some of that stuff can just go away. And once it's gone, I don't, and there's, there's, it's very hard to get that back. So we need to be very mindful of that. Yeah, no doubt. And it's certainly unprecedented. Uh, you know, the music industry obviously was, it had this kind of, you know, long steady arc. And then it was obviously peaking like in the nineties, you know, that's what we, we hear is that the CD era was when it was at its biggest, but it was, it's, it's been a behemoth even recently. It's, it's definitely a 1% or 0.0001% industry. And a lot of people like us working hard, having fun. And a lot of people, you know, in between or below, but um, now it's all bets are off, you know? And I think, I, I don't think there's going to be a choice but to have it be a grassroots thing because, and I, and I want to kind of bounce this back to you because I'm, it's another topic I'm interested in and, you know, the save the stages campaign and whatnot. And I, I don't want to see anyone lose their job. I don't want to see anyone lose their business. Um, but, but I think there's something to be considered for lack of a better term of, you know, is it better to just live to fight another day? Because I mean, there is no end in sight. So, I mean, basically if you're doing it, let's just, you know, take an example and, and kind of streamline it. If you're, if you're setting up some kind of program where you're going to quote, save the stages, I think most of that really is you're taking taxpayers money and putting it into real rich people's hands who are the landowners. And there's no end in sight of when this is going to end. So are we just keeping things on lifeline? when there's no hope of, you know, resuscitation, so to speak. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of this. I just, I'm trying to gather as much information with compassion as I can, but I don't know. The save the stages thing seems a bit, I don't know. It doesn't seem logistically practical to be honest to me. I don't know, but that's just me. Well, you may be right. Um, I'm with you. I don't have the answer. And specifically with save the stages, I would say, to, to me, all of this boils down to, to prioritization. I mean, if, are we going to prioritize uh, our arts? Are we going to make sure that uh, those avenues of expression are going to be uh, around for, you know, uh, however long we need them to be? And are, are we going to, and when I say that, uh, and I'm not shirking your question, I, I, I definitely I, I would say this about Save Our Stages. I, at least there is an effort towards that now. Right, I agree, 100%. I, I wouldn't be able to speak on all the particulars, but uh, I, I think I understand what you're saying. But I, there's just going to have to be a prioritization of our society that, uh, that allows us to, um, to make sure that we hold those things in high esteem and regard and that, that we're going to move forward with those things being a part of our, a, a part of our culture, uh, a fabric of our everyday life. I mean, uh, I, I think if you were to tell it, if you took a, just a general poll in Austin and said, uh, live music is going to be reduced by 80%, I don't think anybody would be happy about that at all. I think everybody would express concern over that, if not 
complete anger and, and would want to do anything within their power to, to make that work. So, uh, again, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure I'd know what the answers are, but I think, like I said earlier, I touched on the, the bottom line is what moves, you know, what, what moves the ball down the field when we're talking about things like this. And, and you know what? That's unfortunate in so many ways because I think you and I um, and maybe some of, the, of our peers, we, we don't like thinking about the bottom line. We don't like thinking about the financial aspects to, to these, some of these things that we do. But um, that seems to be the lifeline connection that I see from point A to point B. So, Yeah, and I just, you know, I, I think it's, it goes without saying, but I, I don't want to see any of these venues go out of business. I don't yeah. want to see anyone lose their jobs at all. I just want, I just think in this, in this situation, we have to be as individuals and as a community, we have to be as clever as possible. You know what I mean? We have to be, and maybe we can get some safe stages and, and in six months we'll be back to normal. I think that would be, that would be great. But the bottom, you know, are people going to come out in even close to the same numbers and are they just going to go out of business because people don't come out in eight months or whatever? We, we just have to be open to, okay, if the, if the government doesn't step in and save our stages, if that doesn't happen, well, what are we going to, let's figure something out. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, we got to be clever, all of us, because otherwise, you know, we'll just get run over by the tide. But I think we will be because there's always going to be entrepreneurial people who love music there's always going to be musicians and there's always going to be people that want to hear the music. So as long as you get those three working together, you can't stop it. You know, you can't yeah. stop it. I mean, you know, we may just have to reframe the conversation. We may have to, to look back at things that we took for granted or got had gotten used to and just have to realize that, you know, either they're not going to be that way for the foreseeable future or they're, they're gone altogether. And that might be a part of what we're looking at. I, I'm not entirely sure yet, but uh, I think the impetus is there to get back to some sense of normalcy, which is great. Um, I don't know. It's just you, you, you hate to see these venues close and, and see musicians move away from Austin because it, it almost feels in a silly way like you're giving up ground. And once that ground was given up, you're not going to be able to get it back. And, and I, think that's, I think that's what is so unsettling to, to everyone who, who, who has a stake in this or, or has a care about it. So. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, 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 and I think that idea has kind of been, you know, maybe bouncing in the back of my brain or been, but that's, you're exactly right. It's about, it's people don't want to give up ground and why should they want, you know, these, this is what makes Austin so cool period. This is what it's built on. This is its lifeblood. And, and yeah, if that ground is given up, is it just condos and, and tech? Is that all that's left? So that's a very good point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <sighs> well, Corey, this has been really good. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Yeah. Sam, I got to tell you, man, I, I, <clears throat> I've talked about this a lot with some of my friends, but maybe not even in this, this amount of depth. So I really appreciate you having me on and, uh, Man, I know Harvest Thieves has played with you several times, so I, I really hope one day we can we can do that again. <laughs> me too, brother. Me too. And I appreciate you engaging with me and, and indulging me as well. And uh, I wish you the best of luck, dude. I'll see you on the on the on the flip side. <laughs> Same to you, man. You have All a good day. Right. You too, brother. Yeah.